welcome to JBL's Everything Audio podcast powered by Headliner Radio, where each month we'll be talking to Harman Pro industry leaders about their speciality within the organization and how Harman is continuing to innovate with its range of products across the music and live performance spaces. Today we're welcoming Dr. Sean Olive onto the podcast, Senior Fellow Acoustic Research for Harman International, who has written over 50 research papers on the perception and measurement of audio, for which he was awarded the AES Fellowship Award in 1996, two publication awards and the Best Peer-Reviewed Paper Award at AES. So welcome. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I can understand you must be a very busy man given your role, so we do appreciate it. And um, before we delve into your role at Harman and the specifics of what you're working on, I'd like to learn a little bit about what led you to this point, um, including, you know, what's your educational background, Sean? Like many people in this industry, I started out as a, as a musician. I studied music at the University of Toronto, uh, mostly focused on classical and I had an interest in jazz, and along the way, I became interested in in audio. I lived in a residence with many engineers who built their own speakers and amplifiers, and that somehow led me to a a degree in sound recording. I studied at McGill University uh, and graduated as a tonemeister, and we went on a field trip uh, during that course, and I met a guy named Dr. Floyd Toole, who was a scientist at the National Research Council in Ottawa. And uh, he was doing these double-blind listening tests where we went into his lab and uh, listened to speakers and rated them on various scales, and, uh, and then he measured them acoustically. And, and that just uh, I just fell in love with that whole idea of measuring people's perceptions and preferences and I ended up spending seven years there in his lab and in 1991 he got recruited by Harman International and he moved to California and a couple of years later uh, he hired me and I joined him and we continued doing the research uh, into loudspeakers and listener perceptions at Harman's uh, in 1993 uh, so that's that's basically how I ended up at Harman doing research in loudspeakers and sound quality and headphones as well. I see. So take it up to the current day. So tell us about your current role at Harman in acoustic research and development. And, um, you know, what does that entail? What do you oversee? I work for a corporate research group called Harman X. And specifically, we're in a, a, a group called Intelligent Audio. The, we do research being corporate focused. We really do research that can benefit all of our divisions, which includes consumer audio, professional audio, as well as automotive audio. So it's really quite a, a broad uh, agenda and uh, uh, much of my research is focused on sound quality so there's always a subjective aspect where we have to uh, at the end of the day do listening tests and find out whether what we're designing actually sounds good and whether people like it. Mm -hmm. And you were also the president of the Audio Engineering Society so what did you devote your time to mainly when you were serving in that role? Yeah, uh, the, well, the Audio Engineering Society, for people who don't know, is the only international professional audio society sort of dedicated to audio research, technology, and the allied arts like sound recording and music production. So I've been involved with them as a student since the 1985 and worked in various roles. And 
in uh, 2013, I was elected president. And it's it's only one year role, but you actually work five years in various committees. And uh, it's, it's really focused on the organization of, of the AES to serve the, the needs of the members. So that involves uh, conventions, uh, various conferences on different topics of audio, and generally expanding and uh, maintaining the, the membership. Okay, so let's talk about an industry game changer overseen by yourself. So this is the Harman Reference Curve, also known and referred to as the Harman Target Curve, and when applied to headphones, the AKG Reference Response Acoustics Curve. So for anyone unfamiliar, would you be so kind just to explain what the Harman Reference Curve is, please? It's basically a a frequency response of a headphone. Uh, If you measure it in a a standard industry uh, ear simulator, uh, or an artificial head, which basically simulates the uh, the ear, the outer ear, as well as the ear canal and the eardrum. And uh, if you put a set of headphones on this device and put put a, a frequency suite through it, uh, it, the the output will be a frequency response. So we basically defined what the frequency response should be in order to sound good to most people. Uh, but uh, getting to that point was a fairly a long process. We started this research in 2012, and uh, it took about. You know, we did various, went in various directions. We also came up with a target curve for in-ear monitors, what they're referred to today as TWS, true wireless stereo. We tried to define uh, what what makes a headphone sound good. Do people agree on what sounds good? And then, can you finally come up with a measurement? that quantifies good sound and actually predict how listeners would rate it. So that that was done by doing lots of experiments uh, with hundreds of listeners all over the world, having them adjust this target in the bass and the treble, and then testing it against the current standards as well as many competitors and measuring people's preferences. And uh, what we found was the majority of people generally preferred this curve. uh, And if they didn't, prefer it they preferred it with some slight modifications to the bass and treble but in general 64 percent of the people liked it as it as it without any alterations and then there was a 16 percent segment who liked it with a little more bass well quite quite a bit more bass 4 to 6 db and then there was a, a segment of around 22 percent of uh, people who preferred it with less bass two to three dB less bass and uh, or slightly more treble. There were certain demographic factors that, that fit these segments. Segment that preferred much more bass tended to be young and male. The segment that preferred less bass and more treble tended to be female, a disproportionate amount of females, as well as uh, older listeners. And we think this could be related to hearing loss, mm. particularly because of the older people. As people age, they tend to lose hearing at at high frequencies. And by reducing the bass and boosting the treble, they may in fact be compensating for this hearing loss and making voices and and instruments more intelligible. It's based on a preferred sound quality over a headphone, which can be traced back to a frequency response. Okay, and yourself, of course, and anyone in the know will be aware that uh, tuning speakers and studio monitors to be neutral is the ideal. However, I know AKD discovered that tuning headphones to be absolutely neutral is a bit of a problem because they don't sound 
exactly right to listeners. So I'm just curious, why is this and why do speakers sound different from headphones in a room? When we listen to headphones, obviously we're not hearing the room. So we have to, uh, you know, that, that's something you have to account for. Secondly, uh, when we listen to speakers in a room, we're hearing not only the direct, the reflected sound, but there's really no effect on how this, on our physiology. In other words, we don't have something clamped onto our head. And as soon as we put something on our head, it, it, it interacts with our, uh, our pinna or external ears. And depending on how we angle it, it can change. And if it happens to be a closed back headphone, uh, it's very critical in terms of the base that we have a good seal. So uh, if there's a slight uh, leak in the headphone because it doesn't quite fit properly, you can have a big effect on the base. So th those are all variables that uh, can cause sound to vary a lot on a headphone. Uh, so one of the goals we did at the beginning of this target curve is we took we took a pair of good loudspeakers that we knew to be good. They measured you know, flat and they were accurate. Uh, we used a pair of consumer head, consumer loudspeakers, a pair of Rebels, and then we took a JBL M2, which is a professional monitor, and we put them both in this reference listening room, and we measured at the person's eardrum. In this case, we were using an artificial mannequin, and that sort of became the basis of this reference curve. So the, the goal from the beginning was to make a headphone sound like a pair of good loudspeakers in a reference listening room. So we, we believe that uh, because of this, we're uh, as, as close as we can get to making a headphone sound like a pair of good loudspeakers in, in a critical listening room. Okay, and on that note, on loudspeaker research, particularly JBL's pro studio monitors like the M2 Master Reference Monitor. So how does this product in particular tie into the reference curve? Well, actually, the the headphone, the, the loudspeakers uh, that we design go back a little farther. They precede the headphones, and it started back at the National Research Council in the in the mid '80s, where Floyd Toole published a set of, uh, of seminal papers on loudspeakers and listener preferences, and uh, he did a lot of listening tests to show that a particular uh, set of anechoic measurements would produce positive listener responses. And <clears throat> so that work continued on when Floyd and I both joined, joined Harmon uh, in the early 90s. And uh, we, we continued to refine those measurements and did lots and lots of listening tests over the course of 15 years and uh, came up with a, a set of anechoic measurements that are, can accurately predict with about 86% confidence uh, that people will score it, uh, how they will score it in a, in a blind listening test. So we sort of started out defining what a, what is a good loudspeaker, and we used that to define what is a good headphone. And uh, so there's a connection between there that if you listen to uh, whether you monitor or make recordings through a pair of you know, M2 speakers and listen to it through the AKG headphones, there should be a similarity between the two. And uh, because we use the same criteria for all of our products, whether they're consumer, uh, automotive, or professional speakers, there's a continuity between the whole audio chain from recording and production to playback in a car, a home theater, or over a set of headphones. Tell me a bit about the 
AKG, K361 and K371 professional studio headphones. So how effective are they at implementing the Harman reference curve and why do professional users benefit from this? So those were the first AKG headphones, professional headphones that uh, where the Harman target curve was applied. That was the design goal uh, right from the very beginning. And uh, they were designed to this target so that when you when you switch back and forth between your monitors and the studio or over headphones, there's a, there's a continuity between how it sounds. And, uh, you know, the advantage, I guess, for a mixer is that they can, they, they can choose what, whatever is most, uh, appropriate or, you know, where, what kind of environment they're in. If they're doing a mobile recording, they can listen to the, to their mixes over the headphones or if they're in a studio environment, control room environment, they can, monitor to their uh, over their speakers now the advantage is if they mix mix to either one and the consumers listening to that mix over their akg consumer headphones or jbl uh, most of our headphones are branded jbl on the consumer side uh, there's a pretty strong uh, chance that the consumer will hear what the artist or the mixer heard when they were Mixing and mastering it—it's all about being faithful to what the uh, what the artists wanted and giving them tools when they're making their art. There, there's confidence that the, you know the consumer will hear what they're what they're hearing. Mm. I'm curious as well. What feedback have you had from you know engineers, producers, and anyone working in a studio that's used these headphones that may be used to using monitors? You know, based on the reviews and speaking with people, it's, it's been hugely positive. Uh, the 371 in particular, when uh, when it first came out, the hi-fi community was uh, quite quite impressed with them. And you can find all kinds of awards and reviews and praise about how how neutral they sound. So, I think I think the main difference between these uh, this new target and you know traditional professional might be they have a little more bass and uh, <clears throat> if you're monitoring over open back headphones for example they tend to be very flat in the bass because uh, it's very hard to produce bass with an open back headphone whereas these ones are closed and they have bass that's more representative of what a consumer might hear. Uh, in the uh, over their loudspeakers in, in their homes, for example. So, um, a little bit about the future of audio, then. So, in particular, regarding immersive experiences and spatial audio. So, what can you tell me about uh, what you think the future of that may look like? The future is already here. Uh, when we're talking about immersive audio, uh, there's it's really being driven by. Um, New formats, immersive audio formats like Dolby Atmos, uh, DTSX, MPEG, sorry, MPEG-H, which is more common over in Europe, as well as Sony 360 Reality Audio. So these are all formats that uh, allow audio to be re- reproduced, not only in the, it's more than two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional. So they're adding an extra uh, layer of height channels so that you have not only front, back, uh, but also up and down uh, experience. And uh, what we see is you know, these formats are becoming very popular uh, because they're 
available now for music on streaming services like Tidal and Apple Music and Amazon. So consumers can get easy access to them uh, through streaming. It's not disc-based and uh, it's also object-based. It's not channel-based audio. So it's very uh, scalable to whatever playback scenario you have. So you can play it back over two channels, headphones. It's binaurally rendered. It knows when it's played back what what device you have and how many what 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 its capability is and it can play if you have a home theater system with you know 32 speakers it it will scale up to that so it's uh so what it gives you is an added dimension of height and uh and uh so it's it's much more immersive and uh, it's also finding its way into gaming uh, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality. So it's it's really where the future is and where it's going. Okay, and what can you tell me about Harman's HRTF lab? Yeah, HRTF, we, we call it uh, Immersive Audio Lab or uh, where we do research on uh, various aspects of rendering audio for 3D as well as uh, making products that can render this new audio so one of the one of the features our lab has is something called a hyperion sphere it's a very large structure it looks uh, it's like a big sphere a a framework that holds uh, a number of speakers in the center of the sphere is a a chair where we put people uh, we put microphones in their ears and we basically rotate them through this 360 sound field and we capture at each year the what's known as the head related transfer function or the hrtf and that head related transfer function contains all the information required to do an accurate rendering of a sound source anywhere in 3d space so it includes the effects of their head size uh, the effect of their ear and, and the shape of the pinna and if we have that information, we can then apply their personalized HRTF to the signal and get more accurate timbre as well as uh, a more accurate localization of the sound when they're listening to headphones or through uh, listening to a sound bar that can render 3D audio, for example, as, as well as in cars. Uh, we see uh immersive audio being more and more of a common experience in cars where you have a captive listener and you already have many speakers in the car that can that can do this rendering i see and um final question sean do you have any advice for the industry moving forward i think anyone moving forward will probably be working with immersive audio and uh i i think I think that uh, what will differentiate the, you know, the, the really advanced uh, products and the less advanced products will be the ability to personalize the experience. So for 3D audio or immersive audio, that has to do with incorporating their head-related transfer functions. It could be uh, compensating for the fact that their headphones don't fit them quite well and um, maybe... Uh, there's some kind of way uh, to adapt the headphone to uh, account for some of these personal differences. So, uh, and as far as hearables, which is a, a pretty new category, these are headphones that account for 
people's hearing loss. Uh, you know, I think the future headphones, for example, will probably have that incorporated into them. So they'll do more than just uh, play music, but they'll compensate for hearing loss uh, and, and these sort of physiological anthropomorphic differences I'm talking about. I would just say in the future, be, be aware of this and, uh, and try to, you know, keep on top of it. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your expertise today, Sean. It has been educational and a real pleasure to talk to someone at the forefront of this innovation at Harman. Um, so have a great day and I hope to talk to you again sometime. Well, thank you, Alice. It's been my pleasure. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.